This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sometimes we overthink things. Joe Biden, well, he never does that. Never a problem for him. When his adorable, feeble little brain tries to kick into gear, this is the kind of genius it turns out. The company's running gas stations and setting those prices at the pump. This is a time of war, global peril, Ukraine. These are not normal times. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Do it now. Why didn't I think of that? Just lower it. Problem solved. Think of all the world's problems we can solve now that we just know. You gotta just ask and everything gets solved. Country getting invaded by Putin? Give him a call. Hey, stop all that invading. Grocery bills a little too high? Just tell the stores to lower food prices. Cold cases? Just ask the criminals. Turn yourself in. Illegal immigration. Hey, everybody, just stop by the office before you come to America. Nice and easy. Presidenting is so simple. If the Boston Celtics would have just asked me for help, I could have told them, hey, score more points than the Warriors. Or the guy having trouble finding a spouse. Tell all those supermodels, just marry me. Life will be perfect. This is not complicated, especially when you only have three functioning brain cells. Stu does America. You have a constitutional right to subscribe to Blaze TV. You can do it at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew to save 10 bucks. Amy Swearer is here to tell us about the big news of the day. The Uvalde-inspired gun safety bill makes progress in the Senate, or does it? But we start by doing the SCOTUS gun decision. Yes, today we dive in deep to the ruling given by the Supreme Court, written by the OG, Clarence Thomas. Yes, it felt good. When I was going through and watching this, because this always happens on the radio show, hour two, it's when all the Supreme Court decisions come down and I got to read them kind of in real time. And the first impression you get from any uh, decision is, okay, here's the name of the decision. It's the big gun one. Who wrote it? Clarence Thomas. Ah. I didn't have that moment like when John Roberts writes a ruling and I need to figure out, is it halfway decent or absolutely terrible? I don't know. When Clarence Thomas writes it, I'm pretty confident. And we're going to go into that today to give you as much detail as is humanly possible. We're going to go into the ruling today. Let me give you the, the big news right off the top. Something that you probably knew and everybody at the Supreme Court also knows and everybody else that's ever looked at the Constitution also knows, but decides to lie about whenever asked if they're on the left. Here is what Clarence Thomas wrote. The constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech 
or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment in that it prevents law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms. We therefore reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals and remand the case for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. That's how I'm going to talk to my kids now. You're going to bed. It is so ordered. Clean up your rooms. It is so ordered. That feels powerful when you do it that way. This is kind of basic stuff, right? You know, the Second Amendment, there's no asterisk next to it. It doesn't say like, hey, look at all the other amendments. This one you can kind of treat differently. It's just as important as the other amendments. And yes, the left of this country is going to have to recognize that. If you don't like the Second Amendment, you can make a new amendment. And what would be the 28th? Am I right on that? 28th? You can make the 28th Amendment, and it could say, you know what? We don't like the Second Amendment anymore. You can do that if you want, but be honest about it. If you want New Zealand's laws or you want Australia's laws, that's the first step in doing it. And good luck presenting that argument to the public. This is, of course, why they don't present that argument to the public. The law in New York fundamentally was a law saying, hey, you guys come to me. I'll be the government in this scenario. You guys come to me and you tell me, justify your need for your gun. Why should we allow you to carry it around? Hmm. Is that how a right works? Isn't a right the exact opposite of that? Isn't a right something that you get whether you can justify it or not? You get the right to speak whether you're smart or not. Ask Joe Biden. You get the right to say things, whether you're right, whether you're wrong, whether you're smart, whether you're funny, whether you're stupid, whether you're sad. No matter what you are, your right comes out and says, hey, you're mine. We're together. We're a team. You get me. We're together. We're like a couple. You know, you had me at hello. That's what a right is. You don't have to justify its use. You don't have to justify its exercise. Whenever anyone asks me, well, what do you need an AR-15 for? I say, shut up. I don't have to tell you anything about that. You know why? Because it's a right. It is a right, and I don't have to justify a right. If it wasn't a right, I might have to give you a reason why I need it. But guess what? I don't. That's the way these things work. And a right is very clear, I think, when it comes to, the, uh, to, to how something like that works. You don't have to go to the government and ask about it. And Clarence Thomas kind of talks about that. Nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a home public distinction with a respect to, uh, to the right to keep and bear arms. And the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Moreover, the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation, and confrontation can surely take place outside the home. That's right. Not all crimes are home invasions. When you're out, sometimes you might have something bad happen to you, and gosh darn it, wouldn't it be nice if you could do something about that? Because the state of New York issues public carry licenses only when an applicant demonstrates a special need for self-defense, we conclude that the state's licensing regime violates the Constitution. That's one really interesting part of this in that it's not even saying you have to have a reason to get a license in New York. That's not even what they're saying 
or what they were saying before today. What they're saying before today was you have to demonstrate a need above and beyond the average person. You have to say, I have an extraordinary need for self-defense, and therefore I need to carry my weapon around. And we've talked about this before, but even Glenn Beck, a guy who had 15 death threats against him at one time, credible death threats uh, against him, even he wasn't, apparently, he didn't rise to that level of extraordinary need of self-defense. If he didn't, who would? Nobody. And this was just their way of stopping people from exercising their Second Amendment rights. Uh, we therefore turn to the, whether the plain text of the Second Amendment protects uh, the two people involved in the case and their proposed course of conduct, carrying handguns publicly for self-defense. We have little difficulty concluding that it does. Respondents do not dispute this, uh, nor could they. Nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a home public distinction with respect to the right to keep and bear arms. And of course that's true. Right. Remember, it's it's we always say the right to bear arms. We say that often, but it's to keep and bear arms. They specifically signal those two things out. And it seems pretty clear what they mean there. Keep is you're able to have them. You're able to have them in your home. You're able to keep them uh, on your property, bearing them. You're not going to bear them at home. Unless something's going on, you're not just carrying your weapon around. And they actually, uh, Clarence Thomas actually kind of says that. He says the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Most gun owners do not wear a holstered pistol at their hip in their bedroom or while sitting at the dinner table. Although individuals often keep firearms in their home at the ready for self-defense, most do not bear them in the home beyond moments of actual confrontation. To confine the right to bear arms to the home would nullify half of the Second Amendment's operative protections. Pretty clear. The right to bear arms is a right. It is a right that is equal to your other rights. Just because you want it to not be a right is not operative here. It's not material here. It is not the type of thing that matters when analyzing the law and the Constitution. And so often the left gets caught up in this. But we really want that thing. Why can't we have that thing? I really want it. I want it now. Was it Veruca Salt? The, the, the Veruca Salt party. It was Veruca Salt, wasn't it? I don't know. I can't remember. I remember the movie. She was dressed in purple, I think. And she said, I want it now. No, maybe that was Violet. Violet was dressed in Violet. Veruca Salt was the one that was complaining all the time. That's the one I'm talking about. And she would say, I want it now. And you know what? You don't get it all the time. I want a lot of things, too. I want no income tax. But you know what? They passed the 16th Amendment, so I can't really do anything about that right now. I would like to overturn it. At some point, I do hope we overturn it. And there's no more income tax anymore. But until they do, I'm stuck paying it, no matter how much I want it now. However, quite clearly, the dissent from Justice Breyer pissed off both Thomas and Alito, who ranted at length about how idiotic it was. And it was idiotic, I have to say. And a lot of it was spent uh, talking about how bad guns are or how bad Justice Breyer perceives guns to be. And it's interesting that he feels this way. It's just not material to what we're talking about. <laughs> it's interesting because you can sit here and say, 
I think guns are bad and I want them to go away and they should go away and people shouldn't have them. Those are all points of view that I don't agree with, but points of view you're totally allowed to express. Thank you to the First Amendment. However, it doesn't necessarily make a difference. And this is the biggest problem we have with left wing Supreme Court justices. They always think their feelings are part of the story. Your feelings are not part of the story. Your opinion on whether guns are good or guns are bad are not part of the story. We can all come together and say racist language is bad. We can all come together and say anti-Semitic language is bad, but we can't get rid of it. We can't ban that speech. Why? Because we have a First Amendment that that backs that sort of speech. It backs the right for offensive speech. It says you are free to say things even when I don't like them, even when they may very well be bad for society overall. So your opinion on whether guns are good or bad for society might be interesting for you to talk about at brunch, but it is not interesting to put in a Supreme Court dissent. And what Justice Breyer decided to do was say, hey, I'm going to list all the gun crimes I can think of, and I'm going to list all the gun statistics I think support my argument. And what I'll probably do is cherry pick the ones I like. But still, I'm going to make an argument about how bad guns are. Now, in the actual opinion, in several footnotes, Clarence Thomas just goes off and says, this dissent, by the way, sucks. I mean, have you read this thing? Uh, well, I, I might give you some of that stuff on, uh, on Twitter uh, later on. If you want a full rundown of all of the interesting parts of this, go to at Stu Does America or wherever you follow me on social media. I'll try to post all of them a little bit later on tonight as we go through them. We're going to go through as many as we can today, but I want to give you Maybe the most satisfying part of this, because Clarence Thomas's opinion is really, really good, and he lays it out in a very professional way. And I feel like Samuel Alito is like, you know, this is really good, Clarence, but let me just rail against Breyer a little bit. And if you had to read one little part that was just the most satisfying part of the, uh, of the entire uh, opinion release today, it may very well be the Alito concurrence. So Alito agrees with Clarence Thomas is on board, but wanted to add a couple notes to his hearing. Let me give you, a, uh, to his opinion, let me give you a little bit of this. In light of what we have actually held, it's hard to see what legitimate purpose can possibly be served by most of the dissent's lengthy introductory section. Of course, that's by Breyer. Why, for example, does the dissent think it is relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years? Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? Will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows that it's illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? Hmm. And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of its list took place in Buffalo? And this is an insider tip for those out there following, keeping score at home. Buffalo is in New York. This law was in place there. Didn't stop that mass shooting. The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. What is the relevance of statistics about the use of guns to commit suicide? Does the dissent think that a lot of people who possess guns in their homes will be stopped or deterred from shooting themselves if they cannot lawfully take them outside? I feel like some of the suicides out there might happen inside of homes. So that would not at all relate to this whatsoever. The dissent cites statistics about the use of guns in domestic disputes, but it does, does not explain why these statistics are relevant to the questions presented in this case. How many of the cases involving the use of a gun in a domestic dispute occur outside the home? 
and how many are prevented by laws like New York's? Alito goes on to bludgeon him more. The dissent cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns. But what does this have to do with the question of whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? Hmm. The dissent cites the large number of guns in, uh, in private hands, nearly 400 million, but it does not explain what this statistic has to do with the question of whether a person who already has the right to keep a gun in his home for self-defense is likely to be deterred from acquiring a gun by the knowledge that the gun cannot be carried outside the home. These all seem like very valid questions. And while the dissent seemingly thinks the ubiquity of guns and our country's high level of gun violence provide reasons for sustaining the New York law, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense in the first place. The problem, of course, here is none of this is relevant at all to what's actually going on in the court. And the court, when it's in left-wing hands, can't seem to understand that they have a job to do. And what they need to do is do their job. They don't need to, to opine about every little side issue or whether they think guns are good or bad. What does the Constitution say? What does the right of an American to own, to keep, to bear a gun, what does that entail? That is your job. Your job is not to opine on every little issue uh, in the public discourse. And over and over again, that's what the left thinks its job is. It's how we got all these fake rulings and terrible rulings over the years. Um, and this is the problem with what Breyer did here. He's not arguing about the case in front of him. He's arguing about whether guns should even exist at all, whether the Second Amendment really should give individuals a right to keep and bear arms. And that's an okay thing to argue. You can argue that if you want. I don't think it's correct, but you can argue it. However, it's already been decided by Heller. And over and over again, Breyer seems to say, look, I know we can't look at Heller again, but I still want to, you know, look at Heller again. Uh, here, let me give you a couple more here from Alito's uh, concurring opinion. The real thrust of today's dissent is that guns are bad and that states and local jurisdictions should be free to restrict them essentially as they see fit. That argument was rejected in Heller. And while that, the dissent protests that it is not re-arguing Heller, that's the case from 2008-2009, it proceeds to do just that. Today, unfortunately, many Americans have good reason to fear that they will be victimized if they are unable to protect themselves. And today... No less than in 1791, the Second Amendment guarantees their right to do so. This is a good moment for the Constitution. This is a good day for your rights. It is a little disconcerting that we have a 6-3 ruling on something as basic as this, whether you have a right to defend yourself. But it is good that we did get this one done. It's important to codify these rights when you have the opportunity to do so. This is going to make some big changes, I think, in other areas of the law. It may very well affect not just New York and the other, I think, six or seven states that have this type of bizarre uh, reasoning behind their laws. But it also will affect other things, other uh, laws that are out there and may affect your state as well. This, you know, you might not be a gun owner. You might not care about uh, whether you can carry a, a firearm out in public. It may not be something you're ever interested in doing, but it is your right to do it. And today, that was codified by the Supreme Court 
and Clarence Thomas. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be worse if you're not working with the right agent. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment, and that is a lot of responsibility. You need an agent that can take that seriously. That's why I always talk to you about realestateagentsitrust.com. They work with only the best agents in pretty much every market across the country, no matter where you're moving. I know so many people are now moving because... Maybe you were in California and you went through the COVID thing and the shutdown. And you're like, I got to get myself out of here. This is, of course, why the real estate market has gone completely bonkers in places like Texas and Florida. But we welcome you here. If that's why you're coming, we want you here. Please come. But when you come, get a good real estate agent. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're buying or selling a home, get the most for your dollar at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Happy to welcome back Amy Swearer to the program. She's a legal fellow with the Heritage Foundation and a Second Amendment, Second Amendment expert. Amy, how's it going? Hey, good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. I went through the ruling today, as I, I believe you did as well. Um, I think it's a good day for the Constitution. Am I reading that right? It is. It is a very good day for the Constitution. It's a good day for the Constitution, for the integrity of the court, although you will have pundits try to spin it otherwise. And it's also a good day for tens of millions of ordinary law-abiding Americans who live in these small minority of states like New York who have essentially said for decades now, you actually don't have a right to bear arms. Uh, those tens of millions of Americans will finally get to experience the fullness of the Second Amendment right uh, that most of America already has. Um, so it's a great day for them as well. Yeah, and they spent some time talking about the, there's two parts of this. It's keep and bear arms. This is something, you know, it's not just keep it in your home. These, this is a right that is clearly, I think, articulated in the Constitution. And, I, I, you know, you feel, I, I look at this as someone in Texas who has, you know, has more lenient gun laws. But, you know, I see this and these, these states really have suffered under uh, an unconstitutional order for decades and decades and decades. And it's nice that they're free here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at this New York law, it goes all the way back to the, the early 1900s. This is 120 years uh, for New Yorkers who, who have been under this law that essentially says, you know, you as an ordinary law-abiding New Yorker do not have a right to keep and bear arms, at least not in public. Uh, if you want to do that, you have to beg and plead with a government official and convince them that you have some special need. Uh, you know, if you read through the reasons these permits get denied, it, it's almost comical. Uh, you know, it comes out to things that you know, it can be boiled down to, well, have you tried being robbed more often? You know, have you tried <laughs> being a victim of crime more recently? That's not how our fundamental rights work, especially not one that is that has at its core this natural right of self-defense. And there is no other right in the Constitution, anything that 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 would that would have this sort of requirement to it where you'd have to go beg the government to allow you to utilize it. 
Yeah, no, and that's when you read the the opinion by Justice Thomas, this is something he points out, and I think rightfully so. You know, could you imagine if you wanted to exercise your First Amendment rights to, to speech or to, to exercise your religion, and you had to go to the government to say, hey, I, I have a special need to do it. And the government says, ah, you know, have you tried practicing another religion recently? Or like, have you tried being more quiet when you pray? That That's not how this works. You know, you don't go to the Sixth Amendment and say, oh, well, your right to, to counsel it or cross-examine witnesses or all of the, these other due process rights. Do you, do you have a real need for that? No, it's in the Constitution. It's presumed that you have a need and that you get to exercise it without the government's permission. That's what a right is, right? You don't have to justify it. That's why it's given to you. It's given to you as a baseline, as your membership to society. You don't need to go argue with the government to utilize it. Um, I, I was fascinated by the, 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 the effort here to try to dig up every little restriction they could think of from all the way back to 1200 uh, to try to find, okay, there has been instances in America, uh, in our history, through English common law, where they have restricted firearms, and therefore that makes this okay. I mean, Thomas really dispatched with all of that. Oh, he does a great job of going through that, you know, of saying, first of all, when we take a step backwards, right, from, from this 10,000 foot view, even if you can find a handful of these cases, it doesn't override the clear text of the Constitution or take away from the fact that most states, you know, mo most times in American history, we have not had these laws. You know, having a couple of them, even if they are accurate in their assessment of these laws, does not make it some longstanding tradition. Uh, but as you suggest, I think Thomas does a great job of going through and explaining how most of these, you know, handful of laws still are not doing the things that New York says they do. They're, they're not directly analogous. And in fact, for a lot of these laws, you, you will see things where it's either applicable only to slaves or it's applicable in a way, you know, kind of like our brandishing statutes where it says, you know, please don't go around terrorizing people with your guns. I think we all agree we, we ought not do that. But that's a far cry from saying, if you have the audacity to defend yourself with a firearm in public, absent the government's permission, have fun spending 15 years in prison. That's very, very different, especially in a state like New York that says this is the only way to exercise this right in public is to get a concealed carry permit. Because uh, keep in mind, some of these states that did restrict concealed carry, uh, at least of handguns, said, well, you can openly carry handguns or you can openly carry long guns. Um, but you know, you can't go around New York City openly carrying a rifle. That's a good way to get arrested uh, both before and after this opinion. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I thought uh, Thomas seemed particularly annoyed at the fact that they were trying to bring up historic examples and they were examples that were really used to uh, harass and, and uh, discriminate against African-Americans uh, going back throughout history. I and mean, he cited several examples of the, of the laws that the, the other side brought up and said, hey, the, look, we have history here. You have history in terrible, terrible uh, ideas where people were arrested for, for, and fined for having firearms just because they were black. I mean, that's not a good argument on your side. No, it's, it's not a good argument, especially not when you look at the foundations of this New York law itself. Um, so there, there's a lot of good evidence that this law uh, came into being as a direct effort 
uh, to essentially restrict the ability of Eastern European immigrants to keep and bear arms, that mm. that was the purpose behind it. And in effect, that's that's what it did. Now, I, th I think the reality of who that's predominantly enforced against has changed. Um, but I, I think you know, everyone should check out, there's a fantastic brief that was submitted in this case by a, a team of black public defenders and legal aid attorneys who looked at th their clients and said, these laws are overwhelmingly enforced, not against, you know, rich white people in the suburbs, but against our poor minority clients who, you know, are ending up in jail, even though they're otherwise law abiding, because they truly felt in fear for their lives. And the government said, oh, you're not afraid enough. We don't, we don't think you're sufficiently afraid to give you a permit for a gun. And that was the only offense they're ever charged with, is having the audacity to exercise their rights without a permit. Mm, absolutely amazing. Um, I want to go to uh, one argument that came up several times uh, in the opinion uh, about this two-step process. This is something uh, Thomas wrote. Since Heller and McDonald, the two big previous gun cases, the Court of Appeals have developed a two-step framework for analyzing Second Amendment challenges that combines history with means and scrutiny. The court rejects that two-part approach as having one step too many. There's awesome Clarence Thomas, of course, there. But like, what can you explain what this two-step approach is, how it's been used, and how do, how do things change now? Well, without getting into sort of the, the legal weeds here, the, the short version is this two-step approach has been used by a, a lot of lower courts. It was developed by the lower courts. This did not come out of Heller or McDonald, um, but was developed by these lower courts to you know, create a framework for analyzing Second Amendment cases. Um, and the second aspect of it, uh, what courts would do is use what's called intermediate scrutiny, which comes down to a balancing test. You know, do we think it's th this infringement is sufficiently justified, that it's sufficiently good policy on behalf of the government uh, to say that, well, this is constitutional? And what ended up happening was lower courts were using this as a way to undermine Heller and McDonald and Supreme Court precedent to uphold every imaginable gun control law under the sun as constitutional. Uh, and so what the court did here is say, no, we are explicitly not adopting that. You cannot use this standard anymore. It is inappropriate. From now on, lower courts, you need to look at text, history, and tradition, and you need to, to make sure that the government is carrying its burden of showing that its current, whatever challenged regulation is consistent with you know the types and burdens of, of regulations that we had during you know the, the time of ratification and consistent throughout history, that there is some sort of coherent tradition of, of restricting the right in this way. And of course, there's far less of a tradition that, of restricting these types of rights uh, than you know, courts could find under intermediate scrutiny. So in a way, this is also a win because it tells courts going forward, you have to do a better job of analyzing these cases correctly. You can't just sort of undermine the right with intermediate scrutiny. Hmm. Is this going to have big effects on other existing laws in other states uh, that, have, that are hanging out there? Will this you know, help uh, restore other infringements that we've seen around the country? Well, I don't think that the case itself is going to have much of an impact other than what we just talked about with the, this new roadmap for lower courts to assess cases. Because now every time there is a challenge that is brought up to a gun control law, this is the standard that lower courts have to utilize. And so I think that's where you're going to see this difference. Now, of course, we all know that lower courts uh, have various ways of, you know, dodge, duck, dip, diving and dodging around <laughs> 
are on precedent they don't like, but at least now they have to be a little bit more clear that they're just ignoring precedent and, and tooling with history in a way that is, isn't appropriate. Is there anything that you see in here that's uh, anything that, to worry about? Because I mean, I think, you know, even going back to Heller, I remember thinking of the, the common use standard as being circuitous and a little bit concerning. Is there anything in here that makes you think, this could be a problem going forward? No, I, I think the biggest problem is that, again, this is still sort of a, a bare bones framework for the Second Amendment compared to what we see for other fundamental rights. Um, you know, the court has only taken this, this now its third major Second Amendment case. Um, so any time that you have these sort of open-ended questions, because the court can't address everything it wants to or that needs to be addressed in this case. It can only address the question before it. And so I think, again, just this bigger problem of the court needs to take up more of these Second Amendment cases, because until it does that, you're still going to have these open-ended questions that are just so broad that even with this fixing of the standard for lower courts, there's still just too many ways for those courts to, to again, just dodge around the issue um, the same way that they did with intermediate scrutiny. Hmm. I, I think you know, there's, a, there's a tendency when I, you know, people who just watch this stuff and come in and out of it here and there like to like apply our uh, like boxing match rules and our perception of how these guys interact with each other. I mean, reading it, though, like Thomas and Alito really took time to denigrate how ridiculous the dissent was from Breyer in this particular case. I mean, it's page after page after page of just... <laughs> basically mocking him for bringing up a bunch of the points that he brought up. Is, I mean, is that real? Do they, are they really at odds? Are they at each other's throats? Or is this just the way they handle it and then they go on with their business? Well, look, I think it's very clear that a lot of justices are, are friends with each other behind the scenes, regardless of how much they disagree on these issues. Uh, but I think it's very clear. You, know, you brought up Alito's concurring opinion. It is a phenomenal opinion. Uh, all it does is spend page after page, like you said, of looking at the dissent and saying, how in the world do you think this was applicable to the question we were answering? Uh, you know, th this has nothing at all to do with whether it's constitutional. Um, so it's, it's, a great, uh, it's, a, it's a great concurring opinion. I think it fits really well with Thomas's uh, majority opinion. Um, but, you know, it is very pointed. I think it was still professional, uh, but it was pointed in saying you know, this, is, this is absolutely irrelevant to the case and, and the issue we're trying to decide. I think that's so central to the problem with the court when it, when it gets involved in this activism and it just decides, well, we really want this X to happen, so here's all the reasons we think it should happen, and therefore it's going to happen. It's like that's not your job. If more people were focused on just doing their job and, and focused on the decision in front of them, it, we'd have a much clearer, I think, uh, picture as to what the court is supposed to do and its role in our government. Instead, it winds up being, as we've seen with many rulings uh, over the past 10 or 15 years, this idea that we have this historic right we, wrong we need to right in some way, and let's come up with a justification to make it so. Yeah, absolutely. The role of the court is not to rewrite the Constitution when it decides that a right is no longer relevant or no longer popular. That's the job of the American people acting through the constitutional process to amend the Constitution. Courts don't get to do that. They are not policymakers uh, who, who get to say, well, this policy is good and therefore it is constitutional. Their job is to look at the law and to say whether or not 
it is constitutional under the plain meaning of the Constitution. Hmm. Um, and in this case, I, I think it's clear that the majority did just that. That's great stuff from Amy Swear, a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and Second Amendment expert, of course. Make sure to follow her on uh, Twitter. Uh, thanks so much for coming back on the show, Amy. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So hopefully you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow it or whatever you're supposed to do there. I appreciate it. One of the fancy things you can do while there is to click on the little bell that, ap that appears. And if you do that, you get some uh, fancy things happening. What happens? Well, we they will tell you, alert you when we go live. And we do that all the time. Uh, it's, it's Stu Plus, the Stu Plus network. It's a streaming network that's been around for much longer than CNN Plus lasted. Uh, but the Stu Plus network will give you a live broadcast, like when news breaks. And today we did one. We did a uh, kind of a quick breakdown of everything that was going on, the kind of instant reaction to the Supreme Court ruling. And we went through a bunch of the, the, you know, the interesting parts of it and talked about your rights, our rights. We also took your questions as well. I want to get to a couple of them here. How many Supreme Court decisions are still coming, and will they release them all tomorrow, do you think, or go into next week? So they've been doing about five per day leading up to today. And that left us with 13 going into today. And then they announced an additional decision day tomorrow. So you had 13 over two days. Seemed pretty doable. You could do six on one day, get seven on the next day, and then get out of town for the weekend. You know, everyone wants a nice weekend off. Uh, however, they only did four today. So four today, that leaves nine decisions still to come. In there, of course, is the big climate change one uh, that maybe we may need to talk about more tomorrow. Uh, also, the abortion one. You got the border case. You got one of the religious liberty cases left over. There's still a bunch of big ones left. And uh, that uh, kind of is the way it's going to break down. I don't think they're going to do nine tomorrow, though. That would be a big surprise. So I do think it probably will go into next week. We just don't know when the Hobbs abortion case is going to come out, of course. Um, another question here. Where in the Constitution does it say that the Second Amendment applies to weapons in common use? It says arms, period. Common use implies that at some point there was a first use of said weapons. Therefore, I fail to see how the NFA is still constitutional. I will. You've hit on one of my favorite pet peeves about the Heller decision. I actually just mentioned it to Amy Swearer a few minutes ago. This idea that common use uh, is the standard, to me, is a real weakness of Heller. It, 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 it gives you, if you want to look to a, I've been bashing Breyer's dissent all day, but it's like, if you want to look to a good point from Breyer's dissent, go look at his Heller dissent. And he mentions this specifically. There's this circuitous nature of, uh, a, of a common use clause, which is like, if a new weapon comes out, you can you it gives the left, I think, a way to basically ban anything that comes out that's new, because if you can stop it from getting into common use, it won't be protected by common use. And that can't possibly be what the founders uh, wanted, I don't think. So uh, that's something maybe we'll get that one addressed in a future ruling uh, now that the court is a little bit more. Um, open to taking these Second Amendment cases. I hope they do address that one because that still is a, a problem hanging out there in a real, uh, a real way. And I think it's something that the left has yet to fully exploit, but expect them to go for every little trick in their bag of tricks coming soon. Back in a second.
You know, I have to admit, I'm a little scattered today. I don't know what it is. It could be the high amounts of hard drugs that I do before each show. But, I mean, I do that every day, and it doesn't normally affect me like this. And when has anything ever gone wrong with lots of hard drugs? Never. So I don't know what it is. I think it might be I'm in shock. You know, like if you fall through the ice into really cold water and you just go into shock, I feel like that's what's happening with me with good news. Like, I don't know how to handle it. I don't, I've been doing this show since the, we did the show for like two weeks and then the pandemic hit. And ever since then, it's been nonstop crappy news. So I don't know what to do with myself today. We got a good ruling from the Supreme Court and I don't know how to handle it, okay? Just being honest with you. I, maybe I need more drugs. Maybe that's uh, what it is. Uh, the state, oh, here we go. This, this ought to cure it. The State Department is predicting a three-year crisis on high food prices. There you go. Now, see, I'm starting to feel better. Things are coming back to normal, feeling more normal. Um, The Fed chair, Powell, is saying, no, it's not really the Putin price hike. I hate to say that's not really the whole story here. Uh, So that's not a good sign for Joe Biden. And really, there's nothing out there at this point that is a good sign for Joe Biden. He's flailing around. People are already openly starting to talk about maybe he shouldn't run in 2024. We haven't even had the midterm yet. Like they even even have they don't even know what that's going to be like. And they're already saying, why don't you stay home in 2024? And the Biden approval rating has fallen for a fourth straight week, tying the record low. I feel like I've done this segment so many times. Biden hitting a new low in his approval rating. Maybe I could just start. I swear this is a new segment. I know I wear the same suit every day. So you might think he's just playing this same segment back again of Biden hitting a low on his approval rating. No, this is a new segment. I'm doing it. I swear I'm doing it now, right now, today. What's the day? Do we know the date? Is uh, 23rd. the 23rd. That's the 23rd today. And the 23rd, I should just keep recording these in advance, though. I just be like, hey, uh, by the way, the fifth straight week of a low approval rate, lowest approval rating from Joe Biden a sixth straight week of the lowest approval rating for Joe Biden. I can just keep doing these forever. And then I never have to show up again. And that will give me more time to do drugs. Make sure to go to wherever you get your podcasts and follow, subscribe to this one. We do really appreciate it. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars when you rate and review. On point, no holds barred facts with a pinch or two of humor. Great podcast. That's right. We never give you more than a pinch. That is our Sister Does America guarantee. It's true. Uh, You can also listen and watch on YouTube uh, and follow the show. Click the bell for all the lives. We'll let you know when they're coming up. Uh, And uh, give me some uh, algorithmic engagement comments below. We really appreciate it. Oh, click like, too. Click like. I didn't tell you to click like today. So click like if you're uh, on Facebook or on on YouTube or wherever you are. Uh, Autumn writes, uh, I like your card tapping. You're welcome. It's a great way to gauge the level of annoyance you're restraining while on camera. Also, I'd love to play a game of poker with you sometime. <laughs> That's, yeah, I'm not the greatest poker player in the world. Um, my pronouns are he, him, because I'm a dude and not a lunatic. I also respect the English language and don't believe that insanity should be promoted. He, him, you don't need to go ass over key kettle, kettle to learn what I want to be called. Just use common English conventions. Peace out. Is that too much to ask? Is it really? Uh, that's where we are. Okay, so here's what happened. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. 
Now, you know, perhaps, about the drug cartels in Mexico, and they have some issues that they deal with from time to time. There's a little violence. You may have heard of that. And there's a bizarre fascination with exotic animals. I don't know why that's true, but it is. And so there's a big shootout this week, and we found something very, very strange at the end of the shootout. A, a person lying there with a bulletproof vest, dead, unfortunately. On top of him, a monkey, also dead, and also wearing a bulletproof vest, dressed just like his owner. Yes, the monkey in the bulletproof vest was found dead after a bloody cartel shootout in Mexico. This is after they also found uh, someone with a 450-pound tiger who wandered into the streets. Uh, Another man died after trying to pet a captive tiger in a cartel-dominated area as well of Mexico. And I just feel like it's really, really sad. You know, this poor little monkey with the bulletproof vest, which did not work very well. Uh, apparently, uh, but is dead. On Twitter, they did do a, a charming tribute to El Changuito, uh, Little Angel Wings. And I don't know if this is true. It does sound like kind of a great movie. Uh, if you remember from the 90s, there was Dunstan Checks In. This one could just easily be a sequel. Dunstan uh, Checks Out. Sad story. Dunstan dead at the age of like one. StuDoesMerch.com. StuDoesMerch.com is a place to go to get your merch. And BlazeTV.com slash Stu. We'll see you tomorrow.